And hello and welcome to another episode of City View with Mayor Tom Koch. I'm Mark Carey. This is a podcast. Podcast. It's a podcast. Quincy podcast. It's hello, Mayor. Wake up, Mark. Wake up. It's not I, that early. I'm his media director. And I don't sound like one today because it is actually we're recording this on Saturday morning. Yes. We're here on Saturday morning to inform the people, to inform the constituents of what's happening. And uh, we didn't have time to do it this week. You've had a busy, busy week. Yeah, the schedule's a little crazy, but so be it. <clears throat> so it goes. Well, let's talk about some really uh, good news that happened this week for the folks that did not see it. Um, it really is kind of a unique effort in addressing affordable housing and historic preservation both at the same time, which is really something you don't hear about much, right? No, it's very true. Um, this was a very fascinating project, how this evolved. Those folks that are familiar with Kunze Center, Spear Street, which cuts from Coddington to McGraw Highway, right by Bethany Church. There's an old house there. I think the original portion is 1801, and then there were additions made in the later 1800s, and then there's a little another house behind it. I think it was built in the early 1900s. So, But the Spear Street name comes from Seth Spear, who was a contemporary of the president, John Adams. He was also a Revolutionary War veteran. So Spear Street's named for him. His son, also Seth, built this building, built this house, and was the family home for some time. And, um, you know, it had been purchased by a private individual, developer, whatever you want to call it, and they were suggesting to knock it down and build, I think, 30-some-odd units, which is a, it's a small site, but that many units. And that, that street has had some, some uh, building there that um, I think it's time to give that a little bit of a break. Well, historically, you said at the announcement the other a few days back that in the early part of the 20th century, it was a rooming house, wasn't it? A, a woman's Yes, actually, house? a woman. I think her name was uh, White. Um, she worked at the library. She got donations from local businesses to provide rooms for women who couldn't afford a home. So it's it's ironic that, yes, more than 100 years later, we're going to go back, not necessarily a rooming house, but affordable units for some of the folks in Quincy that have had some challenges. And as we know, the market is difficult. So it's it's a two-for project, as I said. It's, it's historic preservation. I mean, look, we can't save everything. I know that uh, some people just don't like change. I get that. That's hard. But, you know, like some of the buildings we took down in Quincy Center, we had to go through a historic study review. But I don't think there's any building we took down in Quincy Center that had any true <laughs> historic value. I mean, when you look at what we've done with Coddington, Town Hall, Adams Academy, the 1400 building that was redone is magnificent. So there are great historical structures. Yeah, we all miss Child but, World, but we don't, we don't miss the well, structure yeah, itself. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly, exactly. So this one is a special one because it goes back so, so far and it's an old uh, old farmhouse type house, and uh, it's got some really cool architectural features. Beautifully shaped, um, hand carved granite steps. The way they have the curves in the steps, and so but you don't see that anymore. If you do, it's an awful lot of money to get it done. So it's a combination of yes, providing some historic preservation, and I think this is a good one. But also an opportunity to provide. No, it's not. It's not a hundred units. It's not two hundred units. It's eight or nine units that will meet the need for eight and nine Quincy people. And that's the goal here. We have no state money involved in this project. It's uh, first, the first funding we got was from the Affordable Housing Trust, which enables us to purchase the property. We'll be going to the Community Preservation Committee. The Community Preservation Act a number of years ago is three categories essentially you can use the money for. Housing, affordable housing, historic preservation, and open space, rec park and recreation. So, this hits two of those categories, so we're confident that we'll get some funding from the Community Preservation Committee. So none of this money is on the taxpayers at Quincy. 
And I might remind people the affordable housing trust money is created by developers putting money into that at the request of the city when they develop. It's called inclusionary zoning, which um, was enacted back in 2001. It was actually created. The issue was talked about by a number of the clergy members in our city across all faiths. Joe Finn kind of picked up the ball at the time. He was a city council at large, and he was the chief author of this uh, inclusionary zoning. And it's resulted in uh, more than 600 units across the city for affordable folks. So it's a, it's a good thing, and we're working it hard. This is a cool one. It's a little different, Mark. It's not the cookie-cutter type. It's, it's a special project, and there's a lot of interest in it, not only from the public, but um, the planning department and the building department, because it is unique, and it's just one of those opportunities that we are saving an old, old historic structure, but doing something with it, not just open it up for tours that nobody would see. Uh, so the outside will be preserved. The inside will be completely renovated for, again, eight or nine Quincy people, families. Well, it is a beautiful structure on the outside. That's right behind the library, a little bit to up, the, in up the street a, a little bit. But um, very, very unique project. I think uh, I think that's why it's got so much attention. It got a lot of news coverage. Um, it's a nice piece. But it also brings us to um, you know, the issue that is always uh, at your desk and in your office is affordable housing in the city of Quincy or beyond the city of Quincy. I mean, this has really become a national issue and something that has become more than just a Quincy issue, but affordable housing has been an issue. Yes. And certainly when I'm out and about people and talking to seniors and others, um, you know, there's a lot of seniors that live in their homes. Um, they're looking to downsize, but they want to stay in Quincy and they'd like to be with their peers. You know, they don't, don't want to be just in an apartment building. So um, that's why we did the overlay district at East Nazarene college. 55 and over zoning district, which if the college should sell a portion of the property off or if it ever ceases to exist, which I certainly hope that doesn't happen, uh, then that would be designated in the zoning district to do just that. Now, I want to also remind people that we've got buildings all across the city dedicated to seniors. We have a number of public housing units, private units, whether you talk about O'Brien Towers, Pagnano Towers, Sawyer Towers, Tobin Towers, you know, 91 Clay Street, uh, Granite Place, Bauer House, Townbrook House, Fenno House, uh, Mooring, Squantum Gardens. So there's a, there's a lot of housing stock dedicated to that, which is not enough. And uh, so we've got to continue to work it. And uh, again, the overlay district was one piece, but also going forward, coming up with some unique projects to to tackle that, that uh, segment of the population. Because what, what that does also, Mark, is it then frees up a home which families, there's a, there's a shortage of inventory in Quincy. Uh, everybody will tell you that. I know I have two out of my three adult kids are looking for homes, and there's a shortage of inventory. I hear that from the realtors all the time. So this would free up homes for those families that want to start a, you know, young couples want to start a family. And um, it also would, would help the senior find a place that they're comfortable going to. In a lot of cases, the seniors are, are uh, really house rich and cash poor. Mm. Now there's also an option out there for seniors that I, I don't know if they're aware, but they should always reach out to the assessor's office uh, in his city hall here. So if you, if you're um, eligible under certain income guidelines, you get an abatement on your, if you're a veteran, you get abatements, but there's also a thing called tax deferment. So if, uh, if you're a senior and the, the taxes are challenging because everything else is high electricity and, Comcast and, and uh, gas, whatever it may be, if you heat, I mean, 
you know, we've seen some incredible inflation in the last few years. Taxes were right in the middle of the state when they're not excessive in Quincy at all. And we've got tremendous services for those taxes. But having said that, if that becomes a burden, they could do what's called deferred their taxes. They could defer them completely. They could defer them this year and then maybe pay half next year. And what happens is at, when that house is sold, if they move on or... Uh, you know, they go to a nursing home or they go to a, another 55 and over, or God forbid they pass. At the time of the settlement of the estate, then those taxes are paid back uh, to the city. So it, it's a good good deal for, for seniors if that becomes a challenge or a burden. So we're, we're attacking this thing from many angles, and, and I know that, um, you know, people talk about housing. Out of the 6,000 housing units that have been built the last 16 years, 10%, 600 of them are are affordable. And that was the goal. Just like the state law requires a minimum 10% of your community meet the threshold uh, or your communities um, opens up for a 40B, which a developer can come in and do anything without any local zoning checks. Now I'd further add, because I, you know, this, I get frustrated with how the state counts these things as well, but there's a lot of folks that live in a two or three family that own a two or three family that have a senior relative or neighbor who lives there and they charge them very cheap rent. That doesn't get calculated in the number. Mm. And I know there's a lot of that around the city, yeah. uh, for sure. So our affordable housing number is, is, is much higher than what the state recognizes. Because unless it's a state program, they don't recognize it. You know? So, for example, this house that we're going to do with eight or nine units, the state won't recognize that because we're not going to follow their rules. And what I mean by that is this is going to be eight or nine units for Quincy people only. We had uh, the estate requirements are you, you go into this program, you have a lottery, people apply, they can apply from all across the state. For example, the Joe Finn building on Hancock Street, I was so disappointed because there was only a couple of Quincy people ended up in there because of the state process. So um, that's going to change when we're doing city projects with only city money, and this is the first of, of its kind. I really don't, I, I shouldn't say it this callously, but you know, we get Quincy people that need housing. I can't worry about somebody from Worcester. Yeah, not that you don't care about those people. It's just that your job as mayor is to take That's care of the correct. Quincy people. That's yeah. correct. Absolutely. So this is one of those unique projects, and we're going to continue to come up with another one was on Bigelow Street. A rooming house burnt down about a year ago on Bigelow, Bigelow Street, replacing it with uh, efficiency units. Beautiful new home. It's actually an asset. It's the best-looking building in the neighborhood now. Uh, really, really handsome. And that will be Quincy people only as well. Oh, that's great. And I think that's... Uh, to get off the top of my head, it might be 14, 14 units, two handicap, and but they're all efficiency units. So it's it's a better situation than a rooming house, and it's certainly right outside the square. It's also an asset to the neighborhood. It looks it looks magnificent, and it was a rooming house for decades before that. And it adds up. I mean, all these places add up. Of so there's a do. lot more affordable Absolutely. housing, especially when we're doing purely Quincy people. It, it'll be a big help. That's great. Yep. Well, and again, you can't control the. Um you have no control over housing and what the costs are across the no, country. No, I mean, we're part of it. greater Boston. They, they, yeah, they say the ring of value uh, in around Boston, you know, inside 495, 128, about the whole bit. It's, and that's expanded over the years. But I don't care where you go around us here in this area. The cost of housing is extremely high. It's a reflection of the market. The only thing that brings that down is more units in the marketplace. That's what brings it down and stabilizes rent. Now, the flip side is... I. You know, if you own a home, uh, as my wife and I do on Newbury Avenue for 34 years this December, you know, your home is your biggest investment. You certainly want it to increase in value because that's your nest egg down the road when you do decide to sell and gives you options to do other things, 
Uh, and as we get older, we need some of these other challenges that happen and you need some of those resources to deal with those challenges. So on the flip side is that's a great thing. And the value return has been incredible in the last decade here in Quincy. So it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's great for the people that own a home. It's tough for people trying to break into the market. But for anyone to suggest that it, it, there's an easy answer to that is, is not being truthful. The reality is it's part of the market, part of a much bigger market. Things, things we can do to help, like the, the, the units we've built. And, and I want to remind people, too, that I know I run into people say, ah, too much development, it's, it's overdevelopment. And I was talking to somebody in Squanum recently. I said, I said in Squanum? Oh, no, 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 Squanum is fine. So <laughs> that's a reminder to me that in all of these 6,000 units over the last 15 years, there's only been 23 new units in residential A areas, those single-family home neighborhoods. So we've done... I think we've done a remarkable job protecting the neighborhoods. I'm not saying that every project has been wonderful, but when you look at the big stuff, the Abbey at North Quincy T Station, Elevation at Crown Colony. Now, the Elevation was interesting because Crown Colony is, for the most part, an office park. So we actually reversed the challenge. The office park, it's the traffic coming in in the morning and leaving at night. The residential, it's the opposite. So there's no conflict with that traffic. So actually... It helps supply some housing units. Obviously, these things also contribute to our tax base. That's the other thing that's sometimes people miss. Which provides services and everything. Yeah, all the stuff we're doing across the city, we wouldn't be able to do if not for this development. We, or we'd be having to do Prop 2.5 overrides to do it. So the seawalls, the roads, the schools, the parks, et cetera, et cetera is, is a result of all of this new revenue coming in, which makes us that much better financially. And by the way, the average single family tax bill, we didn't have this development, will be on average, again, $1,700 a year higher. And you add that up over the last several years, you're looking at $12,000, $13,000 a home. That's just the average. So some people more, some pay less. But it, I just try to put this in perspective because it, as a city, we are a city. We're a city of 102,000, seventh largest in Massachusetts, the 12th largest in New England, We've got four red line stations, and by the way, the red line is we all know has been challenging, but we're we're starting to turn the corner on that. Working with Governor Healy and the new general manager, we think the red line is going to be in pretty good shape within within a year or two. So new cars will be arriving, etc., which is which is a positive thing. But then you get the commuter rail station. We got bus service. We we are a city built for this kind of uh, development and investment, and uh, so it, it's good stuff. It really is. But you know, back to this project. It's funny. It's a little project, but a great one. You've always said uh, to really keep the development too, smart development, really keep making sure it's along the spine of the tracks. and not yeah, For the, the most part. Not encroaching yeah. on the neighborhoods. We have beautiful neighborhoods that we're not talking about that sure. development. That's but, correct. And some of those residential B neighborhoods, some of those others where they have multis, there's been some old real dogs that were ripped down and, and a new building put up that was an improvement to the neighborhood. So just be, again, not... Just because a building may be 50 or 100 years old doesn't make it handsome, beautiful, you know, or historic. So there's yeah. been those blighted properties that have gone away with with some new investment as well. So overall, I think it's been a positive for the city. I, um, I just want to articulate those points and connect the dots for people that it does matter. It does matter to your tax bill. It matters to all the improvements we're making on our infrastructure. We wouldn't be able to do this without it. And which leads me to a little, we can plug our little, we're doing a sort of series. We talked about this for a long time, doing uh, showing the diverse leadership that you have under your administration here. We just recently had Ali Rule at TPAL 
with do a little interview on, on her and what she does and what it's all about. When I inevitably asked somebody she's about... She's a traffic engineer, She's a traffic way. engineer. What did I just say she was? Oh. She worked for TPL. Yeah, right. She's a traffic engineer. Very smart. So one of those things is when you ask people about development, you try and get them to pinpoint what really bothers them. It always inevitably turns to traffic. Yeah. I really learned some a bit about traffic this week by interviewing our traffic engineer, Ali sure. Rule, at TPL. And that, to me, there's been a lot of changes over the last especially six or seven years in traffic and how it operates here in the city. Talk a little bit about yeah, that. So so no one's ever going to solve the traffic challenge. We're part of a metropolitan Boston area. I know people don't like to hear that. We are a separate entity, a separate community, but we're part of a region. And, um, you know, if you go anywhere, morning, late afternoon, I don't care if you go to East Milton Square, Braintree, Weymouth, go to Hanover, go to Boston, Cambridge, so there's heavy traffic at, at those hours. So that. There's no magic wand that's going to solve it. However, there's things we can do to mitigate it, to make things more efficiently, more safely for cars, for bikes, for pedestrians. And we've done a number of terrific projects, rebuilding intersections, working with our state officials with state dollars, federal dollars. Uh, we're going to be starting in, uh, on C Street in the spring, rebuilding C Street from Quincy Shore Drive down to Palmer Street, which is going to have a lot of improvements traffic-wise, traffic calming, uh, lane turning, lights, and so forth that will make it uh, a much better experience. So we've done East and West Howard, East and West Squanum Street, and Hancock Street. We've done a number of major intersection changes. And then throughout the city, we've instituted, again, through Ellie's leadership and Ed Grennan, the director of the department, this technology that uh, we have more of this technology than any other community in the state. That's what I was talking about. That yeah, was amazing. It's, it's incredible. So there's these, they put these cameras at intersections that tie right into the system that are tied into the computers at our traffic department. They can view things, see things, right, and they can manipulate that, make those changes as, as needed. The other obvious one that we've seen over the last several years is those dedicated left green lights, arrows, that have helped the intersection move much much more efficiently as well. So there's all kinds of things that the traffic department is doing to mitigate some of the challenges. You know, the other thing is that not all development brings new traffic. You know, Hancock Street, three or four, four families were taken down. One was a rooming house and a new condominium building was built. Beautiful building, beautiful permanent homes for people. So it's, it, there's no new traffic with that because you had four, four families there before, you know, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah, in a rooming house. So you had a similar type of traffic with that. You know, and there's been other places where, a, uh, a business has come down that generates a lot of traffic where a residential building goes up that doesn't generate any other traffic. So there are, you know, it's not always more traffic. You know, right. it's sometimes it's neutral, sometimes it's less, but it is a challenge and we've got to continue to work. You know, the, the addition of Hannon Parkway was huge. The connection over to McGrath Highway that was talked about for decades, we got that done. Uh, so there's been a lot of infrastructure improvements related to traffic and a lot of technology improvements to help facilitate well, I also thought that was fascinating. Worthy of mentioning that people don't know this necessarily, but again, um, and we've talked about this before, talked about traffic before, and, you know, back in the day, we were one or two cars per household. Now there's four or five. You know, there's 100,000, 200,000 new Uber and Lyft drivers, double parking, stopping. Uber Eats now ordering. Yeah. They're all over the place. They're slowing there's, traffic down. There's too. that, and, and some of our own road construction has caused some of the delay issues. Yeah. We've got we to gotta do the road construction, including that, major, major national grid replacement of that 115,000-volt line that has caused some disruption. So as some of that gets completed, that will help uh, also. One of the things I thought was a nice thing to mention was the fact that 
the public safety initiatives for traffic, which we've talked about here in the podcast, so I won't necessarily bring that up again, but was it also worked for MB, the MBTA, making the bus routes faster? I think we're the only community around to do that where we're saving 10 to 20 minutes per bus ride because of the traffic controls that now the MBTA has within this new system. Yeah, I, the public safety vehicles, the, the T-buses, they recognize by the system and they can facilitate the light change much faster. So yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff uh, on this technology side that we're doing that has been major uh, major investment. Um, it's, it's, it's positive. Now, if, you know, if anybody's got challenges, questions, or concerns, I'd suggest they reach out to TPAL, talk to Ed Grennan or Ali Rule, and they'll jump on the issue, see what they can do to mitigate it, change it, fix it. Uh, the one obvious one that we're, we're working with Mass uh, Department of Transportation on is what can we do about the Neponset Bridge? You know, we get half of the South Shore comes up 3A. You summon leaving Squanum to go to work in Boston by car. They take a right, and they're immediately backed up in traffic. So we're, we're working with them to see what some of our options are. They're trying to identify all of the where all that volume comes from. I think it's pretty obvious where most of it comes from. But mm-hmm. um, So we've got some work to do there. And, and again, you've got the Galvin Boulevard merge, and you're going right up on the ramp on the expressway, and it, it all gets a little backed up. So there's some major infrastructure investment that's got to be made in that Aponsa Circle area to help free up. Uh, that uh, bottleneck, if you will. So. Yeah, total bottleneck. But, hey, we're living in New England, too. We're the most unique place for traffic. I think one of the most unique areas in the country. We certainly are. Well, <laughs> um, and moving on, I would recommend that, folks, we have... <clears throat> excuse I like Felix Unger. <laughs> moving on, we have a great series out there that the, it's called the Mayor's Leadership Team. It does show the mayor's diversity, but it, but you find out a little bit about each department, what each person does. The mayor can talk about it and wax on all day long about the things that, that the city is doing for the constituents. But really, you get to hear a little bit from Eric Mason, who's our CFO, yeah, we got Molly some, we Smith. Got Just check it out on our YouTube yeah. channel. City of Quincy is the official name. Same with our, our uh, Facebook page. You can check it out there, too. It's a nice leadership series. There are six episodes up, and there'll be more coming. And, uh, Mayor, anything else you want? Oh, we have a big uh, food truck and music festival coming up. That's uh, right. That's right. October what are the details? October 7th. It's going to be a food truck and music festival. What time? 2 to 6, I believe. Oh, no, excuse me, 12 to 6. Any good bands? No. No, I'm kidding. Uh, great bands. Actually, fantastic uh, entertainment. John John McDonald's lined up a pretty good uh, a good lineup there. So good. there's some kids music, kids stuff. It's going to be great. So Excellent. check it out. We'll talk more about that town. later. And uh, we'll see you next time with this nice little Saturday edition of City View with Mayor Tom Koch. Mayor, that's it. Thanks, Mark. All right, thank you, Mayor.